week of coming and uh, joining together in worship to our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the center theme of our life and our worship, and the preaching of his word is central to what we do. So I'll ask you to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 8. John chapter 8, and I'd like to begin reading at verse 12. We are in a verse-by-verse study of of John's gospel. We've come to chapter 8 and verse 12. I'd like to read down through verse 21, if you'll follow with me. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not mine alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law is written that a testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Let's pray. Father, we come now to the ministry of your word We worship you by the preaching of the word, and we ask, Lord, that you would take this message today from John's gospel, that you would use it, that your spirit would use it to speak to hearts. We do not want to do this in the flesh, for the flesh profits nothing. We want this to be your spirit exalting your Son and glorifying your name. So we pray, Lord, that you would grant this for us today. And may each ear hear. May eyes see and hearts know that you are God in heaven, the Savior of those who trust in you pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The things that we see in this passage that Jesus says about himself are fundamental to our belief in him. Fundamental to our faith. 
Some of the things that Jesus says will draw people to him. As in verse 30 of chapter 8, when he said these, and he was while he was saying these things, many believed in him. Others of his sayings will drive people away. They will repel people and anger and unbelief will be the result as we see in verse 59 of this chapter. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus Christ is the most polarizing person in all of history. In chapter 8, in verse 12, which we're going to center on this morning, just, the ver- just verse 12, we see that Jesus again addresses the people in the temple. The word again is there because he has addressed them publicly already in, in chapter 7 when he stood and with a loud voice cried, I am the water of life, which was the first of his I am statements. And now we see him again addressing the people publicly in the temple. And this time it is in connection with the last of the ceremonial uh, events of the Feast of Booths, which was the lighting of the menorah, uh, or I should say menorahs. There were more than one. The, The very large lampstands in the court of the women in the temple where Jesus had been teaching. There were four of them. They were very large, and the priests had to use ladders to climb up and light these gigantic uh, candelabras or lampstands, if you will. There were no candles. They were burning oil in them. And as these As these lampstands were lit, the light, the glow from from them would go up and radiate up and people in Jerusalem would see the lighting of these these, uh, lampstands. So luminous was their light that one Jewish source declared there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect their light. In other words, everybody in Jerusalem could look toward the Temple Mount and see the light as it went up like a giant searchlight into the sky from the glow of the candelabras. There would be, at this point, jubilant dancing and singing of praises to God in commemoration of the pillar of fire that had led the Israelites through the wilderness and had protected them from Pharaoh's armies. It is here that Jesus lifts up his voice once again and he uses this powerful picture to disclose himself as the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Can you imagine the scene? He was the fiery pillar of the Exodus that led the Israelites through the wilderness and shielded them from Pharaoh's army. It was Jesus Christ that was that light. As stated earlier, the phrase, stated last week in fact, the phrase, I am the, or the phrase light of the world was one that was familiar and common to the Jewish people 
Because it, they had the knowledge of God that, uh, that their God, Jehovah, was a God of light. And many, many Old Testament scriptures bear this out. Psalm 27, verse 1. Isaiah 60, verses 19 and 20. And over and over again in scripture. So numerous are they. In fact, the Israelites were taught to sing that phrase from Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So this phrase, the light of the world, was used to speak of the Messiah, to speak of the one who would come and save Israel from their enemies. In the coming age of the eternal state, Jesus himself will be the light for all the people that exist in the new earth and in the heavenly city, Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 1 speaks of it. In verse 23, and the city, that city, New Jerusalem, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Christ is the light of that city. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring into it glory. Jesus claims not only to be the light of the Jewish people, but he also claims to be the light of all the people on earth, both Jew and Gentile. This claim would have startled the Pharisees and would have further raised their anger and their hatred of him. So throughout this passage and others that we will see, we will see that Jesus is sorely misunderstood. They didn't understand how he could give them water to drink. They didn't understand how they could eat his flesh and drink his blood. But here it seems that they do understand when he speaks about himself being the light of the world. He was claiming, in this final claim of the Feast of Booths, Again, to be the very God from heaven. So I want us to look at this opening verse, verse 12, uh, as the final illustrative statement of our Lord at the close of the Feast of Booths. He will, he will at least five other times use the phrase, I am, ego e me, I am, and he will speak of himself as God at least five more times after this one. So here, Jesus reveals himself as light for those who are living in darkness. The words of the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 9 had to be fulfilled. And Matthew records the fulfillment of them in Matthew chapter 4. If you'll turn there with me, Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in front of you in the pew. And you can use that one. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, verses which begin the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus. Notice what he says, Matthew four twelve. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. 
And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. In the the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the peoples, notice this, dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Isaiah spoke of the light of Christ. He spoke of the time when Jesus would come and fulfill his messianic role. He would be the light for the Jewish people, but he would also be a light to the Gentiles. And we know that that happened in Acts chapter 10 when Peter went to the house of Cornelius and preached there the gospel of Christ and and the light of the gospel was shown on that place and he and his family were saved. The first Gentile believers. Now let's face some facts. The world we live in is a dark and evil place. It is a place where the prince of darkness, Satan, rules as God of this world, as the prince of the power of the air. He is the one that rallies all disobedience against Christ and against heaven. The scripture has a great deal to say about the darkness of this world, which is a moral, spiritual darkness. I remember I remember two times I was in total darkness in my life. One was when I worked at Mare Island Naval Shipyard and we were on board a ship deep deep in the several floors down and the power went out. And it was pitch black. You couldn't see anything. It's a very un unnerving feeling to be in that kind of darkness. I mean, I was there with other men and I could hear them talking and so on, but uh, it was dark. The other time I was in total darkness was when we went to, we went to Mammoth Cave in, uh, in um, Missouri and uh, down near Branson. Actually, it's at Silver Dollar City. And we went in and they said, we're going to let you experience total darkness and they turned off the lights of the cave, and it was total darkness. That darkness is illustrative of the darkness of men's souls. In that kind of darkness, you, you can't move, you can't see. You don't know what's around you. You, have, you, you lose your sensory perceptions of things. And when the light went off in the ship, we were told to sit down where we were and not move because you could fall down a hole or down some of the ladders. You get disoriented. That's the way spiritual darkness is. It's a, it's a moral darkness of spiritual darkness that sinners abide in. Proverbs speaks of it. 
They, he speaks of it as those who forsake the path of uprightness and walk in the ways of darkness. Think about it. We were told to sit, don't move, you'll hurt yourself. While men in spiritual darkness walk around all the time. And they don't even know where they're going. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. John chapter 12, verse 35, the one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. People all around us every day, we pass them in the store, we work next to them, we see them as our neighbors down the street. They're in darkness and they don't know they're in darkness. They stumble and they don't know they stumble. They often exchange darkness for light and light for darkness. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. This is because their hearts are filled with darkness and they cannot see the light of God's gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 21. For though... For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, listen now, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ephesians 4 verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of of their hearts. So there's a du- direct connection between the hardness of one's heart that does not know Christ and the spiritual darkness that they live and abide in. John at the beginning of this gospel states that the light came into the world through Jesus Christ. Listen to it. 1:5. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, it is the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So Christ came into the world as light. His life was light. His words were light. His deeds were light. His death is light. And His resurrection is light. People lost in darkness, in the darkness of unrepentant sin, cannot see or hear their way out of that darkness alone. The only way out is through God's Son. He alone conquers the darkness. He alone conquered it and brought life and light to sinners. He does this through the preaching of the gospel. It's the only thing that can actually turn on the light switch of a human heart that abides in darkness. Is the gospel. We believe that the gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26. In this passage, we see the Apostle Paul as he is standing before King Agrippa, speaking... For the third time, giving his personal testimony of how God saved him on the road to Damascus. 
And what Jesus said to him on the road to Damascus is the subject matter of verse 18, 26, 18. Notice, he says, Jesus said, I'm sending you, notice what he says now, to open their eyes. That is a phrase that means to give them the ability to see. They're blind, they need to be able to see. Why? You see the words, so that? That is a purpose-result clause in the sentence. It states the purpose for why he is sending him, and it states the result of what will happen when he goes. Notice what it says. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. This is what happens to every soul that comes to Jesus Christ in faith, believing they, they, their darkness is turned to light. And, now there's something to add to it, and from the power of Satan to God. So you have darkness connected to Satan and light connected to God. And here's the, that's another purpose. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in me. You cannot be sanctified in Christ Jesus. You cannot be holy before him or set apart for him until your sins are forgiven. But when you are forgiven... When he does redeem your soul and turn on the lights, then you see him clearly. He is no longer the one to run from, the one to shun, the one to hate because he's encroaching upon your lifestyle. He becomes your wisdom. He becomes your your Lord. He becomes that which you want to live for. Because he's worthy. So what happens? When that happens, in verse 18, when all of that takes place in the life of a sinner, they become a child of God and they are delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son, as Colossians 1.13 says. And that kingdom is a kingdom of light. You want to know the reality of all of it? Christians, those who are truly born again, those who are genuinely saved, are the only people in the world who know where they're going. Think about the rest of the world being in abject spiritual darkness, moral darkness. First Thessalonians 5, verse 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, Paul writes. First Peter 2, verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous 
light. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Now as we said, this is the second time that in John's gospel that Jesus has presented himself as the I am of heaven. Revealing the various ways that Christ is the Savior. When he's, every time he says, I am, he reveals something about his character as the Savior. When he said that the first time, he said, I am the water of life. He spoke of that which satisfies the, the thirst of the soul that is withered and dead. And the water of life makes it alive and satisfies its thirst. Here, and he, he said in verse, uh, in verse 35 of chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And so what he's saying there is that his admissions, he's admitting that he is indeed God in the flesh, Stating that he had actually come down from heaven, from the Father, from God in heaven. He had come down to do his will. Verse 38, chapter 6. Now in this claim, he is is taking on the nature of God as true light. Flip back, if you will, to 1 John, chapter 1. Just a few... Before Revelation, near the end of your Bible, and you'll see 1 John. Notice what he says in verse 5. Verse 5, John writes, This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and we proclaim it to you. What is his message? That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. What is he saying? He's saying that God is not only visible, luminous light, which the Israelites saw in the pillar of cloud, which Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he is is moral light. He is heaven's light. Heaven's sinlessness. Heaven's holiness. Heaven's righteous light. And in him there is no darkness at all. That means that you can look to Him for the path of life and He will show it to you by His own moral light. And He has given us His Word to tell us everything He expects of us from as His children. John MacArthur writes, To the darkness of falsehood, He is the light of truth. To the darkness of ignorance, He is the light of wisdom. To the darkness of sin, He is the light of holiness. 
And to the darkness of sorrow, he is the light of joy. And to the darkness of death, he is the light of life. And unlike the golden lampstands that stood in the temple that eventually burned out because they burned away their oil, that outward physical light would would go dim. The light of Jesus Christ never goes out because it is an inner light of eternal of the eternal God that shines in the one who believes in Jesus Christ. This is what people see. A light is a light that is put on a lampstand, high on a lampstand gives light to the whole room. So what does that look like? What does it look like to have this light of life that Jesus promised to all who would follow him? And by the way, this is not the first time he has used this phrase of following him. Walking along the shore of Galilee, he looked and he saw some men fishing and he said, follow me. What did he mean by that? All who truly follow Jesus become a reflection of his life in their lives to a world that dwells in the darkness of sin and shame. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 14, you are the light of of the world. Speaking to his disciples, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill can't be hidden. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Lights. We are the light of the world because Jesus dwells in us and that light of Christ in us shines out as we live and walk with him. As we follow Now, Leon Morris writes, They have kindled their torches at his bright flame to show the world something of his light. That's what we do. We dip our torch into the light of Christ and we hold it so people can see it. But as in all things, there is an absolute antithesis involved in having the light of Christ. In other words, there is a parting of the ways, a separation of lifestyle. Forsaking the old sinful life and an adherence to Christ and His life. Now, that brings us to the word follows. He who follows me, Jesus said, will not walk in darkness. What does that mean, to follow Christ? Well, in a general sense, the word follow can mean to simply follow someone around wherever he goes 
And it is used like that, this word is used like that in many passages, as I've given you some some, uh, passages to look up for yourself. But here, it has a much deeper meaning than just following someone around from place to place. Here, it means to follow as a true disciple, listening to Christ. Learning from Christ. Obeying Christ. Imitating Christ. Emulating Christ. Desiring to act out in life what Christ desires rather than what we desire. That's what the word follow indicates. He found Philip. The next day, and he said to him, follow me. That's more than just, Philip, follow me, stay in my steps. It's, Philip, look to me. Learn from me. Do what I do. Think like I think. Love like I love. In this context of the passage, the word literally means... To follow and behave, get that, to follow and behave in agreement with or in accordance to Christ. I used to say to my children when they would go off away from home with somebody or somebody's house, I would say, behave yourself. You ever done that with yours? You behave yourself. What am I saying to them? I'm saying, Behave yourself like our family has taught you. There are certain things we taught them they could and couldn't do. Behave yourself. In other words, agree with what we've told you and do that. This is what it means to follow Christ. We find out what it is, he, how he wants us to live, what we are to do and not to do, and we agree with him and we go that direction. In the context here, to follow the light means not only to believe and trust in Christ, but also to obey Christ and live according to His word and commands. A person can't say, I'm following Jesus and then continue to live a lifestyle of sin. That's the antithesis. There has to be a separation of that. There has to be a forsaking of sin and an adherence to Christ. Sin must be renounced. And Jesus must be followed in His light. In His commands. In His words. Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. And a what? Light to my path. Luke 6 verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? John 10 verse 4. When he was brought out, when he brought out all his sheep, when he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They follow me.
follow Jesus means that one submits their entire, get this now, submits their entire life and existence to Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what it means to follow. He is the Lord. I'm not the Lord of my life. Neither are you. If you know Christ, He's the Lord of your life. He calls the shots. He gives the commands. We obey. And in obeying, we have such freedom and such peace. It's only when we, it's only when we don't obey that we, that we live in misery. You know that as well as I do. Our children are the most miserable when they've disobeyed us and they know the consequences are coming. There is no... Let me read um, Matthew 16. When Jesus told His disciples... Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever would lose his life for My sake will find it. So there is a direct connection between following and... Saving your life. There is no such thing as partially following Jesus. He will not accept half-hearted allegiance. It has to be all or nothing. There's no such thing as having Jesus as one's Savior and not having Him as one's Lord. For to have one is to have the other. If you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Anyone who comes to Him must come to Him on His terms, not on our terms. Oh, I've heard people say, Oh, well, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come to faith or I'll believe in Jesus when I'm ready. No, you won't. Tell them. Just be straight up with people. No, you won't. You'll come His way on His terms or you won't come at all. This is dramatically illustrated in Matthew chapter 8. If you'll turn there with me. Matthew 8. And I'm going to just... uh, I have two passages here, Matthew 8 and Luke 18. And I'm going to... um, I'm going to spend most of this little bit here in, in Matthew 8. Let's look at it together. Beginning at verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. That's is the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Wow, that sounds really good, doesn't it? I mean, this guy is, he's got it. I'll follow you wherever you go. Now listen to what Jesus says to him. Oh, by the way, this scribe, 
this scribe would have known that following Jesus would be going against the majority of his fellow scribes. He would have known that. So we've got to give him some kudos for actually saying this because it would have been a costly decision for him. It sounds like a strong profession. However, strong professions, get me now, strong professions do not necessarily mean that one has a strong commitment. Because there are people who make all kinds of professions but have little or no commitment. All right, look at what he says. Verse 20, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What a strange comment to make after someone has come up to you and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Really? Foxes have dens, birds have nests. I have nowhere. I have nothing. I'm going to be laying out. From, I'm going to be laying out under the stars. I have no house. I have no money. I have no wealth. No goods. In other words, Jesus is saying to this man, "You must be ready to live a life of humiliation and discomfort. You have to be ready for that." The Lord does not have faith in the faith of men. Let me say that again. Jesus did not have faith in the faith of men. He did not take men at their, at their initial word. Because he knew what was in man. He knew the fickleness of the hearts of men. He knew that they were, many of them, most of them were like the seed that is sown and some of it falls on stony ground and it can't get root. And those that do fall on ground, fall on shallow ground and the weeds come up and choke it out or the birds come along and snatch it away. He knew what was in man. He knew how fickle man was. He did not take the, the outward statements of people At face value. And neither should we. Many of the people that followed Jesus followed Him because they were attracted to Him. They were excited at the things they saw and heard. They saw Him do miracles. They saw Him heal people. They, they heard what He said and, and they were all hyped up and they, they had hope of personal gain. He feeds people. <clears throat> or He'll heal you. Verse 21. Another disciple said to Him, Lord... Let me first go bury my father, and then I'll, I'll follow you. Mm-mm. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me now. And let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. 
The other, the other passage from Luke 18 is of the rich young ruler who gives a glowing report of himself, but in the end turns away sorrowful because Jesus would not accept him on his own terms. And he went away sorrowful because Jesus, in essence, said, if you want to follow me, give up your riches to, to the poor and come and follow me and have wealth in the kingdom of God. Now, he knew that this rich young ruler was an idol worshiper of his money. That's what he knew. So he hit him right where it hurt the most, in his pocket. He said to him, what does the law say? What do I do, I do to have life? Well, what does the law say? Well, not don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He said, I've done everything. I've done these things. What a glowing report. I've done all these things, Lord. Tick, 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 tick. He said, but one thing you lack. Do that. Give your, give your wealth up. Have treasure in heaven and follow me. Hmm. These truths are a stark, stark contrast to the contemporary ideas of today that we live in about Jesus and a relationship to Him. We have so-called revivals springing up, but they only spring up superficially, and they, they're gone as quick as they're there. Because... There's a lot of profession, but little commitment. See, when you commit your life to Jesus, you commit it all. Your soul, your physical life, all that you own, it's not yours anymore. It's His. And He can do with it as He pleases. And you, in following Him, agree with that. When God called us to Australia back in 88, I can't remember now, 85, we sold everything we had, and we, when we left, we did not have a single key to anything in our pocket. God doesn't call everybody to do that, but he does call you to be ready to do that. Because you don't own what you have. I don't own what I have. It's just loaned to me by God for a short time. I'm just a steward of it. That's all. And I'm to take those things that he's given me and glorify him with them. So this is the the stark contrast. Jesus, Jesus actually refused or turned away those who had only a surface faith with no commitment to his lordship. He turned them away. The word follows in verse 12 is a present tense participle. Present tense. It means it indicates a constant listening to Jesus' words and a constant inner desire to obey them because he is Lord. The light, Christ as the light, is the object 
of our faith, and he becomes our inner possession of abiding. So we no longer abide in the darkness of our moral failures and sin. We abide in the light of his morality, his righteousness, his holiness. Jesus said in chapter 4, Whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him, in him, a well of water, a spring, springing up to everlasting life. The one who habitually follows Christ will positively not order his behavior in the sphere of darkness. He does it intentionally. In other words, the intention is that I'm going to live in the light and obey Christ and not the darkness from when from whence I came. The one who follows Christ will see clearly how he is to act and he will know clearly how to follow the words of his master and that he seeks to do. Is that you? What's your desire? Do you love Christ and is he the Lord of your life and you want to obey him? Or are you just one that says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you have no commitment to him. You're still walking in darkness. You're still out there living life for yourself. that's you, you need to repent. Repent of your sins. Follow Christ in truth. Take Christ as the light of your life. The Lord of your life. And follow Him. Because that is what true believers do. They don't do it perfectly. But that's their desire. Is to love the Lord and live like He lived. And love like he loved. I pray that God will help you to do that. I pray that if you're not a believer here this morning, that you'll trust in him, that you'll truly follow him, repent of your sins, and find life in Christ. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'd be glad to talk with you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come Once again, the privilege to come and to worship together as a church family. We pray, Lord, that you would would give conviction where it's needed. That you would give repentance and confession. We pray, Lord, that you would save people that are lost and revive those that are truly your children so that they might walk with you in purity and holiness and righteousness because that's what it means to follow Jesus. And so I pray that for these people this morning, people whom we love, many we do not even know, but we love them because they are your creation in the image of God. And so I pray, Lord, do your work by your Spirit, through your Word, For the glory of your own name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right, let me see here. All right. Don't forget.